Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. If done consistently over time, makes massive, massive differences. So instead of feeling like to get out of the rut, you have to have this amazing epiphany somewhere. <laughs> Maybe all it is is, you know, when I come home and I see my children, I'm going to put my cell phone in the other room so I can't answer it. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut and into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, we're going to be joined by Xane Anderson, who is a speaker, author, podcaster, who is sharing with us some tips on fatherhood and striving for what matters most in life. Because you know what? Life is short. Life is fragile. And the best thing we can do with our lives is to live the best one we can. So sit back and relax unless you're trying to, I don't know, run a steamroller if they have those things around uh, because you need to concentrate on that. But you can actually listen to us while operating that steamroller. Just saying. So enough of that. Let's go. All right. Hey, XA, thanks for joining us here on the show Beyond the Rut and calling in from uh, Utah, uh, just like I said in the intro, most likely. Uh, how are things going over there? They're going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Love your podcast, Jerry. Yeah. Love it. Oh, yeah. Man, thank you. I appreciate it so much. And uh, I, I did listen to an episode or two of yours, <laughs> the uh, the principal podcast, and I'm like, yes. And I, I assume that aligns with your book. So, Well, I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. But I was I was listening to one of your podcasts uh, just this morning and uh what a great thing you're doing. Keep it up. Thank Please you. Do. Thank you. Yeah. I I just look out. <laughs> Lots of great guests. <laughs> you do. You have some great guests. Oh man. Uh, what, great host, yeah. what what you all don't know is how many times uh I have to redo something because I'm like, what does this red button do? And I'm like, oh, I gotta start over. <laughs> so, uh, I got sorry. eight years of those experiences. Oh man. Uh now you yeah. came to me through uh interview valet. Um, those folks over there, Tom and Karen Schwab and their team. Um, I always love to give them a shout out because I mean, they don't They're pay great. me for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've a lot of the guests on this show have come from them. So I always just give them a shout out. Super, super impressed with the interview valet. Um, great team. Tom's amazing. Yes. Uh, work with uh, someone named Chloe. She's amazing. Um, great team. Nice. Oh yeah. Chloe. Um, I just recently met her, so she's new to me. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. They, they do a really good job. So if, I mean, if you're listening in and you're thinking, man, I want to write a book. I want to, I want to promote my business and I want to do this through podcasting. I have no idea how to do it. Uh, definitely check out interviewvalet.com. Uh, I get no money if you go to them. I don't care. I, I just love the work they do and I get to talk to great people like Xane and, uh, and a whole bunch of other folks you haven't even connected the dots on, but they're on here. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, so now a cool thing about your bio, when I was reading through it and I, you know, vetting to see if you'd be a really good fit for the show. I mean, again, Chloe and Karen are already done their homework. And so they knew that you were going to be a good fit. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I got to do my due diligence. Uh, but one thing that really stood out to me, and this is an official first on beyond the rut. Uh, but you boast about having some serious trampoline skills in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so it's true. We do have a trampoline in our backyard and I did grow up with the trampoline. And so, 
you know, occasionally my children and I like to jump on a, on a trampoline together and, you know, I could do a few things. Uh, you know, my kids like watching me do backflips and, and, uh, we could play a few games on the trampoline. Yeah. Together. You ever like so it's a- pull a muscle and your, ch- your kids are chanting again, again. And you're like, I can't <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Luckily, uh, I, I'm afraid that day may be coming, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was a sign when I was. I don't have a trampoline, but you know, when you have kids, you're going to play with them. And if you're dad, your chances are you're going to rough house with them uh, because they just think you're a human jungle gym. And uh, I just remember somewhere in my late 30s. Uh, my daughter jumped on me and like I twisted something. I was like, Oh, that's going to hurt in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, and then maybe a few months yeah. later, my son was wrestling with me and he actually took me down and he was in seventh grade. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> now he knows I'm not the strongest man in the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and something happens when you age. I got to tell you, like there's things I used to be able to do. Can't do anymore. Yes. Um, so getting getting a little older here, but <laughs> there's anyway. like the, the days when you would chase after your kids to stop them from doing something, and now it's like, hey, come back. <laughs> you yeah, stay exactly back, where you exactly. are. <laughs> come back, guys, please. <laughs> Listen to my voice. Come back. <laughs> Pretend yeah. it's running after you. <laughs> exactly right. Oh, uh, now the reason why I wanted to bring that up though is uh, a big part of your book. You know what I want my children to know before I die is really about leaving your life lessons with them in case something like that happens sooner rather than later. Uh, right. but, you know, for us as men, especially in the United States, you know, we're, we're ingrained to be tough, strong, independent. We're the breadwinners of the family. It's all about, I got to make sure my career soars so that my family's provided for, um, you know, what, what's kind of like the trap in, in, accepting that as a mindset to drive your life that I've got to make my career soar just so that my family's provided for. Yeah, that's a super good question, Jerry. Super good question. And let me, let me start here. First of all, I want to say it's not bad to want to provide for your family and have a good career. That's a great thing to do. That said though, I'll ask you a question. I've asked this question to people, a lot of people all over and I've asked them, do you know what your great, great, grandfather, grandmother, like what your great, great grandparents did for a living. And by the way, you have 16 of them. Do you know what they did for a living? And I got to tell you, I I ask this to people and most of the time people have no clue. Sometimes I'll get somebody who's like, well, I had one that was a rancher or farmer or something, but I said, well, you had 16. What are the other 15? You know, what are the other eight grandparents, great granddads do or great grandfathers? Most people can't tell you. And, And here's the Here's the bad news for you and I, as far as our career, our great, great grandkids, frankly, aren't going to care. They're going to care about as much as we do about what our great, great grandparents did, but the kind of parent they were is affecting us profoundly. I mean, deeply in ways that a lot of times we don't even see. Let let me give you maybe an an example or two, one that's obvious. Um, You know, I live in America. The reason I live in America is somebody in my ancestry decided to come from Europe. They got on a boat hundreds of years ago and came to from Europe to America. Well, that one choice that they made hundreds of years ago is affecting me because it affects my economic opportunities, my job opportunities. It affects my culture. It affects my religion. It affects all kinds of things. And it was a choice that was made hundreds of years ago. Now, that's pretty obvious because it's geography and you can kind of see it. 
But there's other choices that are not so obvious, but are just as real. I mean, were they, were they kind? Were they patient? Were they checked in? Were they checked out? Were they drunk? Were they, you know, what kind of things did they do? Because those things can be passed down just as much. Now they're not visible. Let me give you an example. Like I have, I have a son and he's really good at saving money. Okay. Like he's great at it. I happen to know he picked that up from my wife. And I happen to know she picked it up from her mom who picked it up from her mom who lived through the depression, who picked it up from her mom. And so there is a, and, and if, but here's the thing. If you asked my 10 year old son, if you said to him, you know, why are you good at saving? He couldn't tell you. In fact, he wouldn't know that someone in the 1800s, but by the way, it's probably even more than that, but somebody in the 1800s passed this down to him. He could, all he would probably say is, you know, saving money is a good idea, dad. <laughs> he couldn't tell you that it actually came from my wife and from her mom and her mom. And so someone in the 1800s is affecting my son right now in the 2020s, even though he doesn't know it. And I'll tell you, there's things that affect you, Jerry. There are things that affect me. There's things that affect our families. Um, and I think I'm in a little bit of a unique position to, to share this with people. And I'll tell you why. Um, when I was young, well, I can, I'll tell you this story if you want. I, when I was young, um, it, 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 short story here, but let me get into it. When I was young, I used to like to draw trees. And I would draw um, every leaf, every branch, every twig. And I went to, to school and I saw how the other kids drew trees. And they would draw them kind of just, you know, the two lines with the poofy cloud on top. Yeah, the broccoli on steroids, right? <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> big broccoli. And uh, I was I saw how these other children drew trees. I stopped drawing them the way I used to, and I started drawing them the way the other children did. So I went from these really detailed, kind of beautiful, intricate trees to just drawing the kind of, like you say, the broccoli was <laughs> broccoli on steroids or whatever you want to call it. Um, when my mom saw this, I found out later she cried. Um, fast forward several years you know, or a few years. Anyway, I'm, I'm at a little league game and I was, by the way, I was pathetic at little league. Um, you know, you can either be good and actually hit the ball or you can be like I was, I had one bunt the entire season. <laughs> wasn't very good. I'm here to tell you how bad it was. So, there was something significant that happened after this game. Um, I came home from the game and my mom complained of a very severe headache and this was not typical for her. She didn't have um, migraines. I mean, she was healthy. She was 32 years old, seven children. My dad became concerned and he said, you know, I'm going to take mom to the hospital. And I remember standing there in the front room of our little home in Taylorsville, Utah. And I giving my mom a hug and they drove away. Well, I went to my uncle who happened to be visiting at the time. And I, I asked him, I said, is my mom going to die? He said, no, she's not going to die. And he was just being nice. He was trying to reassure me. He was a good uncle. And I said, do you promise she's not going to die? He said, I promise she's not going to die. She's going to be okay. Just relax. And so I, I went downstairs and it was getting late. And I climbed up on my bunk bed. I was on the top bunk. And I started reading this book about squirrels. I still remember the book. Anyway, I waited there. I read this book. I read this book. And uh, my my parents did not come home. I, I'm guessing I probably fell asleep around two or three in the morning. Anyway, I 
in the morning I got up and I was anxious to uh, see my parents. I climbed off my bunk bed, went out to the door and outside of my door, there's this kind of, kind of long family room. And I opened the, the door to my room and I looked out and on the other side of this long family room, I could see my dad, but something was different. My mom was not there. Instead, there was a friend and a neighbor and another neighbor and another friend and another neighbor. And as I got further, as I got closer, I could see that my father had been crying. He had tears on his cheeks. And as I got even closer, my dad threw his, uh, he was trying to hold back his emotion and frankly not doing a very good job. He was choking back the tears, but he said words I'll never forget. He said, I think our mom is going to leave us. And I remember I just felt this huge panic. I said, dad, dad, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to say a prayer. We got to do something. Let's do something. And what had happened in my mom had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, which means a blood vessel in her brain had, had burst. She was now on life support um, at the hospital. And um, she was brain dead. I remember a couple of days later being in the hospital. I saw my mom. She was sitting there. She had tubes coming out of her nose. Her chest was kind of rising and falling with the help of this um, breathing apparatus. This she, she needed help breathing, and it just seemed so unnatural to me. And I was scared. And um, I remember there came a time where um, there was nothing they could do, and they it was time to take her off of life support. And I was there in the room. And I remember that they, they took her off of life support. She kind of crinkled up and turned bluish. And I wanted to give my mom a kiss, but I was afraid to. So I went and kind of kissed the air next to her, um, about two inches from her, just kind of faked a kiss. I walked out. Well, there was a friend of our family who happened to be an anesthesiologist. And he, he said after I'd left the room that my mom on her own went from being kind of crinkled up to where she kind of just spread her, spread her arms out like angel's wings, mm. almost like she was coming into a beautiful place. Well, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, I watched my mom die. And here's my question for you. How do you think... I draw trees now. Well, I'll tell you, I, I draw them the way my mom would want me to. I draw them the way I see them. In fact, just so you know, Jerry, figuratively, right now, as we're chatting, I'm sharing my heart with you. I'm sharing my heart with, with, our, with the listeners here. I'm drawing trees the way I see them. And even though I haven't given my mom a hug in over 36 years now, there's something... That's almost just as good as giving your mom a hug and it's filling her influence. And I got to tell you, Jerry, I feel my mom's influence all the time. So I'm in a little bit of this unique position where I see how much a parent can influence. And I could tell you, we don't have time on this episode, but I can tell you little things my mom did 
I mean, little, just comments that took less than five seconds profoundly affect me today. So for those of you dads, moms, parents, anyone who's listening, I want you to know that the little things you do as a parent, little things that you don't think even matter, are going to filter down through generations. Stuff my mom did in 1985, 1986, right before she died, is affecting her grandchildren. She never met my children. I'm I'm convinced it's going to affect their children and their children. You see... What you do in your career is important because you're providing for your family. But I'm going to tell you this, it will pale. The actual work you do will pale in comparison to the work you do in your own home long-term. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah, that's so huge. And, and thank you, Exane, for sharing that. And um, I'm, I'm honored that we had an opportunity on this show to keep the memory of your mother alive uh, through this medium, through this episode, through this show. Um, because I'm sure she's not just impacting your life, by the way, and your children's lives and their children's lives. Uh, everybody in the world who comes into contact with you and your children, your grandchildren and beyond are also people who've been influenced by your mother. Um, and that goes for any one of us. I mean, you, you think maybe you're just a guy working in a cubicle somewhere, uh, but if you think beyond just the the thing you're paid to do there and how do I impact the people around me? How do I treat the people around me? That's the thing that's going to last. Your your mom's story, the story that you shared is very powerful because it lets us it it reminds us how fragile life is and how short it really is. And this, I mean, go home today, will you go home today and tell the people you love that you love them for all of you listening. I mean, realize that life's shorter than you think. And um and the other thing too, is if you have a choice, I mean, we can be on our devices and working. And again, there's, I'm not trying to say anything bad about trying to provide for your family or have a good career. That's I'm, Don't get me wrong. I'm not going black and white on this saying you shouldn't have a career, have a great career, but just realize when you make your decisions, realize that the influence is going to be so much greater as a parent. So when you're sitting there at home and your child says, Hey, come, come play soccer with me in the backyard. And you've, you've got couple of things you could handle on your phone. They can wait. I mean, put the phone down and go out and play soccer. Those memories, those, those influences that you have as your, as a parent, you know, um, and, and it's little tiny decisions. I mean, you, you don't have to feel, you know, I, I just want you to stress this. You don't have to do some big, huge, grandiose thing to be a good parent. We're talking about just little daily things that you do each day that the cumulative effect is really, really big. And I'm, and I could go into a real quick story on that if you want. Yeah. Um, Go for it. So, you know, I I know someone who was accepted to Stanford's MBA program. um, And I said, Stanford's MBA. I once, I once told this story. Somebody thought I said NBA, which is the national basketball association. (laughs) Did not we're not talking about the NBA. We're talking about the masters of business. And it was, it was many years ago, several years ago anyway. And um, I went, Back at the, that time, I went and looked up and saw how much an average Stanford MBA made and was about $285,000 five years after they graduate. It's probably more now, probably significantly more, especially with inflation. But um, I found out how much the the average household at the time made, and it was around 55000 So if you take 285000 and you subtract 55000 that's about $230,000 more a year. If you do that for 30 years, we'll say, just pulling a number out. 
that ends up being about $6.9 million more. Now, I got to tell you that the math I'm using is too simple. Like it's not taking into account inflation. It's not taking into account that most people make more money later. Um, you know, in year six and seven and eight, we're just talking about year five here. But I went to this individual and I said, what did you do to get accepted to Stanford? And his answer was really um, surprising to me. He said something like this. He said, my dad taught me that if I didn't understand a word, if I didn't understand something, I had to go look it up. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, wait, $6.9 million, look stuff up. Tell me more. And he said, well, you know, it would happen. You know, I'd be reading a book for school when I, you know, back when I was in elementary, junior high, high school or something, I'd be reading a book for school and I'd run into a word I didn't know. And I'd have to stop and go look it up in the dictionary notes. This is pre Google. You didn't have to could look yeah. it up on <laughs> anyway. Um, I got said, I, A I, through C <laughs> on <laughs> the encyclopedia. But, Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, he would, he would come back. He said, I, I, I know what they were talking about. And then he said, but the real magic happened later because I'd hear that same word on TV or I'd hear it on the radio or I'd hear it uh, you know, just in conversation with somebody else talking. And because I'd taken just a few minutes, I knew what they were talking about. I said, well, that makes sense. But I was still thinking to myself, 6.9 million, probably more like 10 or 20 million. Look stuff up. Is there anything else you did? And he looked at me kind of funny, kind of like, well, I mean, I guess sometimes I had to look stuff up in the encyclopedia. <laughs> you know. And so in his mind, he really did go to Stanford because he just take, st- took time to look stuff up in the dictionary. Well, I thought about this for a couple of years because I'm a slow learner. I went back to him <laughs> a couple of years later and I said to him, I said, uh, be honest with me. How much time did you spend looking stuff up per day? He goes, it wasn't that much, 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes. I said, well, what was it on a bad day? And he goes, half an hour. And after I, and I said, okay, so let's, and I went home and I actually did some math. I said, let's assume that every day was a bad day. So I added up all the, the half hours he would have from kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, all the way through junior high or middle school, all the way through high school, even the first four years of college, even holidays and everything else. I took all of this time and I divided it into $6.9 million. Do you have any idea how much money this gentleman was making as say a third grader, like what his hourly rate would be as a third grader looking stuff up in the dictionary? If, if my math's right, and I think I think it's 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 at least pretty close. I think he was making around twenty two hundred dollars an hour as a third grader looking stuff up in the dictionary. And by the way, we know that number's low because that six point nine million. I didn't take into account inflation. I didn't take into account that he would make more in your six and seven, eight, and ten. And I'm also using the worst case scenario, thirty minutes instead of like just five or ten, like he said, right? So. I mean, the number could be as much as fifteen, twenty thousand dollars an hour. It was at least twenty two hundred, in my opinion. But the reason I tell you that story is because you know, if if I just look at you, Jerry, and I say, hey, you know, if, if you don't understand a word, you should look it up. You'd probably say, yeah, that's true. You're right. But you don't realize like how much little difference that could make. Like for Daniel, just taking five or 10, 15 minutes, maybe thirty minutes on a bad day to look something up made this huge, massive effect where he could have this, you know, go to one of the top schools in the country. Well, that same principle, that principle, you know, like just the little things you do as a parent, the stuff you don't think matters, if done consistently over time, makes massive, massive differences. So instead of feeling like to get out of the rut, you have to have this amazing epiphany somewhere. (laughs) Maybe all it is, is you know, when I come home and I see my children, I'm going to put my cell phone in the other room so I can't answer it. 
something simple. Maybe I'm just going to spend an extra five minutes playing ball with my, you know, 10, five, 10 minutes, go kick the soccer ball in the backyard with my son. Maybe I'm going to go play dolls with my daughter for a few minutes every day when I get home. Instead of being keyed into this device, my phone that's kind of addicting and kind of has, you know, just a little decision like that, the, the compound effect of it over time, you know, just like Daniel was like 6.9. I mean, but doing those little tiny things, it might save a troubled teen from suicide. It might save your marriage. I mean, I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it's the little decisions we make that we don't think are powerful that are so powerful. So don't be discouraged. Just just try to make the little decisions that you know you should do anyway, right? <laughs> and uh... Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Show to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Anyway. Yeah, the, uh, I was just thinking, you made me think about it. Uh, the most unexpected romantic thing I could do for my wife and this is completely unexpected. I did not realize this would have the impact that it does. Uh, but now, every time it happens, I make a show of it. Uh, and that is, you know, if it's 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, and my boss calls me on my cell phone, I look at it. I'm like, oh, my boss is calling me. And I'll just hit the button that silences the ringer. And I put the phone back in my pocket. And I turn back to my wife. And we continue dinner. And uh, and she's like, you're not going to answer that? I'm like, if it's important, he'll call again and he'll leave a voicemail. And that. that alone, um, the, the look on her face is almost like, we're going to make a baby tonight. Yes. So, man, you're not going to lose your job. Maybe you will, but <laughs> your wife will love you for it. And, uh, you know, and you'll have not the same effect with your children, but it will have the same positive impact in terms of you will demonstrate to your kids that whatever's going on between you and your child right now is much more important than whoever's calling me. And that's just a little thing. And it took me years to build that up because when I was a real estate agent over a decade ago, when that phone rang, I answered it because it was ingrained in me. If you want to make money, if you want food on the table, you answer that call within two rings, no matter what. And now I realize the culture in the world is okay with calls going to voicemail and responses by text. So... Yeah. And what you're saying to your wife and your kids in that situation too is, Hey, you're important to me. I matter, you know, and you're an important person. You know, when you put your cell phone up there and it, you know, I've heard it even said, you know, even if you carry your cell phone in your hand, so you can see me right here. If I'm, if I'm talking to you and my cell phone's in my hand, this isn't original to me, but it's kind of like you're implicitly saying, well, you're kind of important, but what if somebody dings in on my Facebook? You know, I love what you said right there, Jerry, which is like, just get it out of sight, put it in your back pocket and say, I'm here with you. We're eating dinner. And then your wife loves you for it. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of folks will put their phones on the table at dinner time, lunchtime, whatever it is. I make it a point. I'll have my phone on the table like everybody else. And then I'll take it off the table and I'll put it right in my pocket in front of everybody else. And I just started doing that consciously probably the last three, maybe four years. You know, I got to tell you one more thing. My 
you know, I have a smart brother. I have a brother. He, he went to Harvard in education and he loves, he loves talking about education. One of the books, by the way, he referred me to, and I'm just going to, he referred me to this book called the power of positive parenting oh, by, yeah. by, by Glenn Latham. And this guy has this, he, just studying this kind of changed the way. Now I'm not very good at it, but it changed the way I thought about parenting. He, the whole premise of the book is, you know, as, as parents, we want to have, you know, we want to influence our children. And one of the things he said was um, the best way to get rid of problem behavior, and this is research-based, is to focus on good behavior. He talks about this thing where, and I'm just going to throw this out because I feel like I should there, you know, behaviors are like seeds and with children, especially, but even with adults, attention is like water. So if you can think about when you're trying to influence your children for good, if you can think about what are the seeds that I want to water with attention? What kind of behaviors in my children do I want to have grow? And what I think a lot of us as dads do, and this is a little thing that we're going, I'm going back to tell you just a little thing that just changed the way I thought about things was, you know, so many, I think a lot of dads sometimes want to point out and it maybe from our ingrained or something, they want to point out like, well, why did you stay up till three in the morning? You didn't, you got a C minus on your test. You didn't make your bed. And and what's happening in those situations is we're actually watering the behaviors we don't want to see grow with the tension. But the research shows that like, it's so much more effective to catch people doing something right than it is to point out what they're doing wrong. And so as dads, if we're able to just do this one little thing, like, okay, I'll give you one example. My daughter once, she got up and she's like, hey, dad, I made my bed. I got ready for school. I made my lunch. Surprise. She knocked on my door in the morning and said that. And I'd learned about this, this positive reinforcement principle, which is where you're trying to water the behaviors you want to see grow with attention. We're trying to catch people doing something right. And I went to my wife and I said, Hey, this is a behavior we like, <laughs> you know, let's water it with attention. And so I went out there and I'm like, wow, your bed looks great. Your, um, your lunch, you made your lunch, you got dressed. Wow. Great. My wife kind of laid it on thick. Well, it was really interesting because my daughter continued to do it and we kept giving it attention. Well, um, I believe this is true because I think she went years and years and she was always just this responsible girl who get up and do it. But if I had gone, if I, and by the way, I'm not the hero in this story because I can tell you, my wife can tell you, I blow this all the time. I'm still trying. I'm still practicing on this one. Okay. But less effective would have been to just go in the, go into her room when she had slept in, didn't make her bed. And I could storm in there and say, you know, why didn't you make your bed? And have I told you a hundred times you should make your bed, get up for it. Like, do I have, you know, and sometimes I think if we can just stop as dads, and this is a little thing, right? This cumulative things that happen over time. And we can just say, wow, I really like the way you're playing there with, with Tommy. You guys are playing so well together. Instead of saying, why are you always fighting? You know, um, Catch your kids doing something right and watch that behavior increase, increase, increase. Same thing with your spouse, because this is a principle works with your spouse. You know, Instead of saying, hey, why didn't you this or why didn't you that? Kind of try to ignore the garden variety weeds and 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 water the behaviors you want to see grow and mm-hmm. watch watch the weeds kind of wither and these these other things get big and so yeah. that was one little thing you know that i think is a dad just just it, it, it's it's bigger than you think right yeah. i mean anyway and chances are for those of us who have leadership roles we're probably doing that at work <laughs> like we're telling our employees hey you know the way that you did this new procedure that's exactly what we're looking for that is much safer than what we were doing before 
thank you for doing that. And you'd say it loudly, you say it publicly, and then everybody else catches on like, well, I want to get complimented in front of everybody. Um, I want to, I want to get promoted like that guy did. And and so then you start doing more of that behavior to get more of those accolades and those recognition points. Uh, and they tend to hide from you when it's nothing but, Hey, you could do this better. Hey, fix that. I'm doing my army knife hand for those who are seeing the video version. Uh, and, uh, it makes sense. I mean, it works with our kids too. You know, if you want to see them um, be more respectful to your spouse, catch them in those behaviors. Hey, you know, I really, you know, I saw that you did something for your mother that touched my heart that in fact, I almost kind of cried <laughs> when I saw you do yeah. it. Um, and, and here's why she really appreciates it when you do that. Well, guess That's what? The right. next week or so they're going to maybe it was like breakfast in bed and you just tell them how cool that was that you serve mom <laughs> breakfast in bed i guarantee you the next saturday they're probably going to be making pancakes and eggs again uh you know maybe they'll bake a cake the next weekend you know whatever it is that they, they want more of that now could you create a monster probably is that a bad thing probably not <laughs> so it's like yeah you know it's, when you catch them doing the right thing that's right recognize that too and uh probably recognize it more than the things that they could be doing better. Uh, That's right. Yeah. But, and when you, when you feed that, when you water that, you, you don't want to water the weeds. You want to water the stuff you want to grow in it. If you, and I like how you said it too, you know, we, sometimes we bring our a game to work and we're, we're positive with people and we try to compliment people. Um, but do we bring our a game when we come home and say, you know what? The people at work 10, 15 years from now, that company may not even be around. It could be bought, sold, bankrupted, disrupted, but this, this, my son or my daughter, or my, my wife, this is the stuff that's going to matter a um, hundred years, 200 years from now. It's not going to, it's going to be very, very powerful. So as far as your long-term influence, what you do at home, bring your A game because it's going to go on for a long time. The stuff at work's going to dissolve in a decade yeah. or two. Probably. And it, it makes me think about, you know, like for the typical guy, you know, you've laid out all your energy right there at work, uh, appeasing your, your boss's requirements, putting out fires all throughout the day, meeting customer needs. And I mean, it's understandable when you get home, you are deadbeat tired. You're drained. Uh, if you're lucky, you probably are listening to us right now while you're driving home in your commute, diffusing from the day. Uh, and so if that's the case, you know, maybe by the time you get home, you, you don't feel like being plugged in. You'd rather be unplugged, veg out, that kind of thing. And so how important is it? How important is it to master our feelings? Uh, and what can we do to master our feelings so that when we do get home, we do feel like, or we're at least engaging with our family, even if we don't feel like it right away? Well, I have two thoughts. This is a great question. I'm going to tell you the first thought. I had this friend, so I, don't, I can't take credit for this. He was a brilliant guy. And he said, you know what? When you get home, take just a minute. Like if you're walking in through your garage or you're walking in through the front door to just shift down to that work mode for a second. And you might just say, you know, I'm going to say a prayer for my kids, you know, by name, take, take a minute or two, maybe even five or 10 minutes to shift into, I'm going to be um, happy dad mode, even if I'm a little tired and exhausted. Right. But you know, let me tell you something. Um, there, and this isn't original to me. A, there's a guy named Stephen Covey. You've probably heard of him. And Stephen Covey, he wrote this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and some other books as well that were really popular a few decades ago. But Stephen Covey tells this story um, where he's at the end of this conference, and somebody comes up to him and said something like this. I'm probably telling the story just slightly off, but I, I think I've got the main gist here. The guy comes up to him and says, I don't love my wife anymore. And Stephen Covey, I mean, kind of caught him off guard, but he said something to the effect. He said, well, then love her. 
And the guy goes, I don't think you heard me. I've fallen out of love with her. She's fallen out of love with me. And we have three kids. We're probably heading for a divorce. It's kind of concerning to me. Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said, if you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to just love her. And the guy looked back at him and said, how do you love someone you don't love? Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said something like this, my friend, you're acting like love is a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a verb. It's an action word. But if you do the verb, if you do the action, the feeling will follow. Did you hear that? So his thing was, you know, go home, do the dishes, give her a back rub, take the kids so she has a break, do something, tell her you love her, bring her flat, whatever it is that's going to help her feel loved, even that you're not feeling it. And the truth is you can lead your feelings with your actions. This is a principle. Let me give you one more example. I have this buddy named Brody. He lived in a neighborhood that I, uh, what I lived in years ago. And, um, he told me this story. He said he'd done this. I think it was called the Spartacus workout. It was this workout where you had to do all kinds of, it's like an hour long workout and there's all kinds of muscle confusion. And you get super, super sore at the end. And he goes, he got, he got to the end of this workout and he goes, I was so sore. I could barely walk. I wanted to die. <laughs> okay. He goes, but I committed to do this workout. So I did it again the next day and I was still so sore. I wanted to die. And I did it again the next day and I was still so sore. And I did it again and I did it again. And I was so sore and I just hated it. He goes, but it was really interesting. I, I still kept doing this workout. He goes, I don't remember when it was exactly, but sometime right around week two and a half or three, something changed. I got to the end of the workout and instead of wanting to die that day, I felt like I was just getting started. He goes, that day I did the workout twice. He goes, it happened again the next day. I got to the end of the workout and I felt the same way. I felt like I was just getting started. I did it again. You see what Brody did is he just led his feelings. He didn't know what, I mean, can you imagine saying, and we get this wrong in our culture. I'll tell you this, in our culture, we're kind of taught that you should just do whatever you feel. Well, here's the bad news. Have you ever noticed that your feelings are like the weather? I mean, <laughs> you, can be, you can be mad one moment, laughing 30 minutes later, then embarrassed another hour later. And if you base all of your decisions on how you feel, you'll notice you get kind of fickle results. But you can lead your feelings you know, can you imagine someone saying, I'm not going to work out until the feeling just kind of wafts by, <laughs> right? You're never going to get off the couch, right? <laughs> you have to get off the couch when you don't feel like it and go work out for two and a half weeks or something like yeah. Brody. And then, and then at by, you know, two and a half, three weeks later, then you have those endorphins and you feel like it. Well, it's the same in relationships. It's the same with, if you can say, you know what? And sometimes it's as much as just saying a prayer, Heavenly Father, help me, or, you know, help me be a good dad, help me love my children, help me treat my wife right now. I'm tired. I'm home from work. Taking a, a minute to just shift. And then when you walk in, even if you're not feeling like it, give your kids a big hug, give your wife a big hug, tell them how good it is to see them, give them. And, 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 and your feelings, if you continue to do that, will actually follow because we can lead our feelings with our actions and our thoughts. We're, the feelings aren't in charge. We can lead them. And I love that. I mean, because you're leading them with action. And yeah. it it sets the mind up to accept it and realize this is a part of who I am. This is what I am 
doing. This is what makes sense. And uh, I, I love that. And it's powerful. I mean, there's there's actually data that backs that up, too. So it's not like you're just making this up for a book. This is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Lead your feelings with actions. And, and so we can make our decisions based on what's right, what's a principle rather than our... And, and here's the thing. When you do the right thing, just because it's right, even when you're not feeling like it, eventually you feel like it, but because you're doing the right thing, it's almost like you have this massive force behind you because you're, it's, it's like this, it's like gravity here. You've got this major massive force that's everywhere in the universe. And because you're doing the right thing, it's like behind you instead of trying to fight it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. When I was uh, in basic training, uh, there was something in our (laughs) drill sergeant had told us that it it stuck to me to this day and it still does. Uh, and because, I mean, we're, I mean, we're getting smoked. We're, we're being told to do push ups and flutter kicks and sit ups until somebody throws up kind of thing, uh, because somebody messed up somewhere. (laughs) And, uh, but, but, you know, more than half of us were already demoralized. We're like, Oh my gosh, my arms are jello. It's only 9 a.m. And, uh, and the drill sergeant took the time to give us like a motivational speech, not one of those like do the PT or die kind of speeches, but one of those, if you want to get through basic training, if you want to get through your career, if you want to get through life, and thrive in life and not just, you know, go through the motions, understand AM FM motivation. And you're like, what? You know, we're doing this in the push-up position. And he said, AM is actual motivation. And you can get a lot done when you're actually motivated, when you have real genuine motivation coming from inside of you to get things done. That's actual motivation. And you can perform just about any mission whatsoever. But the reality is you're going to be on missions that just take all your energy from you all your actual motivation away from you. You're going to be demoralized. Maybe you lose a buddy. Maybe you find out from home things aren't going so well. Uh, maybe you run out of ammo. You're surrounded. Whatever it is, you still got to get that mission done. And to get it done, you may have to tap into FM, false motivation, to get you through. And that is, say these things that we're telling you, you know, these little phrases that we're, we're saying with these activities, kick them out. Um, you know, push yourself a little harder. You know, suck it up. Drive on. Uh, you, you, do those things that are false motivating, false motivating to get up and take action. And once you take action, the actual motivation starts to kick back in. And I'm like, what does this guy know? And so the action, the action that he had us do after that was now when you do these push-ups, yell loud and yell like you're, you're going to show me up. Uh, and so we started doing it. We just started yelling the cadence out, you know, one, two, three, one. And like, now we're yelling at our drill sergeant. He's like, yeah, there you go. More. One, two, three, two. And before you knew it though, we got to 10 and we're like, then we're at 20 and we're still going to 30. And we're like, holy moly. Like you just feel the energy shift in that whole group. Uh, he eventually stopped us at about 35 and then flipped us over to do more like flutter kicks. And normally we would just be moaning and groaning at this point. But when he flipped us over for flutter kicks, everybody cheered and said, yeah. And and then we did maybe 30 flutter kicks in cadence. And uh, it was the most eye opening thing uh, that, you know, stuck with me uh, even to this day. And that, you know, and you just touched on it, that we can master our feelings uh, by taking action. So you may have to tap into some false motivation to get that action going, but once you take action, you get that clarity, you understand why you're doing this again, and then the actual motivation refills and then keeps you going for real. Uh, so that is huge, guys. You got to do it. Uh, now, I encourage well you to check out Xane's website, xane.com, and that's spelled E K S. 
A-Y-N dot com. Uh, there you'll find the links to his, uh, his podcast, the principal podcast, his book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. And I, I know for sure you can buy it on Amazon because that's where I got my copy because Xane gave me homework before this interview <laughs> and oh. I needed to read up. <laughs> Well, I appreciate uh, you doing that. So what else would you like to share with folks before we go? Like a final word of wisdom, maybe something you've got coming up. Uh, the floor is yours. Well, I think just kind of what you, you, you touched on there, you know, if you're feeling like you, like, let's just say you're not feeling it for your wife or your, your, your family. Um, take the time to just love them, you know, take the time to just it doesn't mean you married the wrong person. It doesn't mean you made a mistake. It doesn't mean you should get a divorce. What it means is if you're not feeling it, step up and and uh, do what you don't feel yet, but you'll feel it if you consistently do it. Do it lead your feelings with your actions. I got to say, you know, my, my, my mom's mom, someone who influenced my mom and whose influence is being passed on to my children, she said, she had a saying, she said, you know, Matt, no matter the question, love is the answer. And so, if you, how do you love someone you don't love? You just choose to. If you're not feeling it for your family, love them anyway. Lead your feelings. Make it good. Um, I really appreciate you having me on the show, Jerry. Excellent. It's been great to have you on here. Uh, hopefully, we took all of you listeners on a roller coaster ride, left you some practical tools, some encouragement. <laughs> and uh, again, check out Exane's um, website, Exane.com. Exane, it was great to have you on here, man. Hey, thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me on the show. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great, great work in the world. So uh, keep it up. Hey, I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. As we talked about, you know, things like, you know, putting your phone away during meal times, spending time with your children, just a few more moments, a few more minutes, and just see what opens up, especially when they're in their teenage years and they don't feel like talking to anybody. And, you know, we also hope that when you live life, you have decided you're going to draw trees the way you see them. Now, the trees are symbolic in case you've missed that. So maybe it's a book you're writing. Maybe it's how you want to parent. Maybe it's how you want to pursue hiking. I don't know what it is, but for you, there is a way you're wired and strengthened to do a thing. Do it that way. Bring your voice into the world, your specific thumbprint, and make an a positive impact for generations. Now, if you liked what you heard in this episode, pay us forward, hit the share button on however you're listening to us right now and send this show to somebody you know will find value in it as well. Because why keep it to yourself, right? You can also go to the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 309, and there you'll find all the resources that have been mentioned here, Xane's website, his podcast, plus some past episodes that relate to this type of topic on fatherhood. Now, I'm glad you joined me this week, and I look forward to joining you again next week. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show. That's C-A-P. 
S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.